Finding Purpose in the Pain, One Adoptee's Journey from Heartbreak to Hope and Healing, an Audible Memoir by Pamela A. Caranova. Chapter 20, Who's Your Mother? November 11, 2010 was a game changer for me. After learning my birth father's name and receiving confirmation of his location from multiple sources, I made a decision. I could leave my birth mother's funeral and drive back to Kentucky on a 10-hour trip home, or I could drive to Leon, Iowa and show up at my birth father's door and introduce myself. Unfortunately, the latter would put me way out of touch with getting home to Kentucky at a decent hour, adding over six hours to my drive time. After doing some digging, I was able to find the name and phone number of the biological cousin that my Aunt Nan mentioned, whose name was Brian. I called him, and he acknowledged who Jack Jennings was and confirmed where he lived in Leon, Iowa. I told him I was Eileen's biological daughter, and I had been told Jack was my father. He concluded that Jack was a pallbearer at my grandfather's funeral, and he was a close family friend. He shared that the, Je the Jennings brothers were all lived very close, and they lived within a mile radius from one another, in the sticks of a little town called Leon, just north of, a, the, of the Missouri and Iowa border. He said they always lived off the land, and even when gaming laws were in play, the Jennings brothers made their own rules and hunted year-round to feed their families. So gaming wasn't only a hobby for them, it was survival. He shared Jack's wife's name, Lynette, so I decided to look her up online, and I took a plunge and gave her a call. After two short rings, a soft woman's voice answered the phone. Hello, is all that was said. Hi, my name's Pamela, and I hope this call finds you well. I'm calling to speak about Jack. I live in Kentucky, but I've returned to Iowa for my biological mother's funeral. At the funeral, I learned from several sources that Jack is my biological father. I'm on my way to Leon now. I don't want anything from him, only to see his face and meet him at least once. Is he home today, I said. Oh, honey, I believe everyone deserves to know who their biological parents are. However, I must share that Jack is a raging alcoholic who stopped drinking alcohol a few weeks ago. The last few weeks are the nicest he's been to me in over 20 years of our marriage. If there ever was a time to come, it's right now. I'm going into town today to play bingo with a friend. He will be home all day watching football. Once you hit our long gravel road, you will see our mailbox on the right about a half a mile up the long gravel driveway. <clears throat> you will likely lose your cell signal, so write this down. Our house number is 1319-555-1212. Good luck, honey. I won't say we spoke, said Lynette. Wow, I remember being shocked at how kind and understanding she was. It felt like she gave me her blessing, so I was all in and taking it. The few hours to get to Leon, Iowa from Waterloo, Iowa seemed like an eternity. The closer I got, the more nervous I got. What if he thought I was an intruder? Or what if he turned me away? What if it went south? Well, all the scenarios were on the table, but one thing was for sure. I was not going to die without seeing his face at least once. So I was more determined than I ever had been to do what I had to do to see him. He lived in the country off the land with wild dogs on his property and was a gamer and a hunter. He had a gun shed and a slaughterhouse. He could have lit my ass on fire when I showed up, but my desire to see his face one time was more significant than any fears most would have had. I didn't think twice about putting myself in harm's way. I was willing to die to see his face one time. Non-adopted people can't fathom why this would be so important to an adoptee. Sometimes I think it's because they don't know what it's like to grow up and spend your entire life not marrying anyone. It impacts adoptees, and it impacts us profoundly. 
I feel that to grow and prosper in life, we have to have roots. And when we don't have our roots, we become stagnant and we can't grow. When we see others who share similarities, characteristics, and genetic mirroring, it changes things. But unfortunately, most non-adopted people have the privilege and know no different. So they can unknowingly take this for granted. Well, I'm here to tell you that seeing the faces of our biological parents is a massive piece of our journeys. And if an adopted person has that desire, it's essential that they are supported. My anticipation rose as Miles brought me closer to Jack Jennings' doorstep. This was where the rubber met the road. I was finally going to see his face, a dream come true. Yet part of me always questioned if seeing his face was enough. What if we could pull together a relationship from all the years apart? I was dying inside not knowing who my biological parents were, so this was life or death. I was open to all scenarios, but seeing his face one time was the priority of this decision. I wanted to feel real, like I had roots somewhere. No matter how it would turn out, I would soon be faced with the reality that had always been hidden from me. Was my birth mother right? Did he know nothing about me, and would he not want to know? I was about to experience this myself. Indeed, no matter what anyone told me, I had to see it for myself. Adoptees need to see it for themselves, no matter who wants to protect us. Most of the time when an adoption happens, the pre-story isn't usually a pretty story. While our adoptive parents and society dress it up, the reality is that it always begins with loss. Loss of our cultures, ethnicity, genetic history, medical history, lost relationships, knowledge of our ancestry, and so much more. Only when everyone in the adoption constellation acknowledges this reality will adoptees have a fighting chance at a life of wholeness and happiness, and even then, it's no guarantee. I turned right down a long gravel road, literally in the middle of nowhere outside Leon, Iowa, with a population of approximately 1,800 residents. I remember Lynette telling me how to find the mailbox, and that led down another long gravel road that would lead me to Jack Jennings' doorstep. It was about 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday, and the sun was shining, but it was a cool, crisp morning in November in Leon. The leaves were starting to fall, and the vibes were majestic. Country fields surrounded Jack's house for miles. As I pulled slowly up Jack's long gravel driveway, I noticed a pond to the right of his property. It was breathtaking, and the land where he lived was enchanting. The closer I got to his house, the more determined I became. Finally, I took Lynette's advice and called into the house to see if I could get Jack on the other end of the phone to alert him of my arrival. Getting out of the car alone with wild dogs approaching my car wasn't in the cards. After two short rings into Jack's landline phone, I hear a hello on the other end of the line. I said, hi, Jack. I'm Pamela. I'm outside your house. I've been told you're my biological father, and I would love a chance to meet you and say hello for a few minutes. Would it be okay if I came in to say hello? He said, come on in. I'll open the door. Once he came to the door, the wild dog scattered off, so I was able to get out of my car safely. Then, as I walked up the rest of his gravel driveway, I approached his front door. He opened a screen door and said, come on in. I could glance at his face when he turned around. He looked at me and said, who's your mother? I'm sure this was the million dollar question, but I said, my mother is Eileen Ward from Waterloo, Iowa. Her father was Garrett Burchett. From what I've been told, you were a pallbearer and a family friend at his funeral. He walked me into his living room area and I followed him and he invited me to sit on the sofa. I noticed he had Iowa football on the television. It seemed he was spending the day in a little slice of paradise he had created for himself. 
He said, I remember her. She was the only woman I ever danced with that I didn't have to bend to dance with her because she was so tall. But she didn't tell me anything about you. That's the story I was also told, I said. So I let him know that Eileen gave me up for adoption on August 13th, 1974. And it was apparent it was without his consent because he knew nothing about me. He started to ask me a few questions, and he asked me if I ever had a chance to meet my biological grandmother on my maternal side. And I said, no, sir. She passed away long ago. I never got to meet her. She was crazier than a box of rocks, he said. I told him I heard a few stories about her, but that was the extent of my knowledge about her. That sparked my interest in wondering if any of his parents were still alive. I told him I was in Iowa because Eileen had passed away and I was there for her funeral, where I received confirmation about who he was. I also shared I drove to Leon instead of home to Kentucky at a chance to meet him. I had a 13-hour drive ahead of me, so I wasn't going to stay long. He started to tell me a little about his life and job, and in that piece of our conversation, he was using the graphic term for a black person, which let me know that he was a racist. I was taken back a bit, but I also acknowledged that he was from a different era and the time and time than me, so I just listened. He shared that my great-grandmother was part Cheyenne Indian, and he shared this with great pride. Jack said he attended college at the University of Nebraska, where he played football. He also served in the United States Army, where he served from 1961 to 1963. He was an outdoorsman and loved hunting and fishing. He was also a sports fan. He loved the Green Bay Packers and New York Yankees. He also enjoyed the University of Nebraska and University of Iowa teams. He liked to read Louis Amor novels. He watched Westerns and Clint Eastwood movies. He played the card game 500, and he had a great recall memory. Jack worked at John Deere's and retired from there several years earlier. One of the strange things is that my adopted dad worked at John Deere's and retired from there, and so did Eileen's most recent husband, Keith. He's the one that told me Jack Jennings was deceased. Such a wild paradox if you think about it. I wonder if they all knew each other. Jack asked me about the names of my adopted parents, which I told him, but he seemed like their names didn't ring a bell. I told him I'd been living in Kentucky since I was 17, but I always wondered who my biological parents were. We talked for about 45 minutes. I had another question for Jack. Do I have any siblings? I asked. He hesitated and said, Grant Blackcow might be my son, but there's more to that story. I'm not 100% sure he's mine. I said, can you tell me where Grant lives? He's from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, he said. I thanked him for the information, and I asked him if any of his parents were still alive, and he said, yes, my mother's alive. She lives independently in town, and she has an apartment of her own. I check on her daily. She's 82 years old. I knew I might not lock the answer he gave me, but I expressed an interest in meeting her one day because I had never met a biological grandparent. Because she was still living independently, I had hoped we, he would allow this meeting to be facilitated, but I wasn't holding my breath. However, when I suggested the idea, he said, maybe you can come back in the spring and I can set up a meeting between you two. I was elated at the idea. I was also surprised that he was interested in us meeting again in the future. Even when I knew this could be the last and only time I ever saw him in this lifetime, I knew I had to get on the road for the long ride home across the country. After the 45-minute visit, I told Jack it was nice to meet him, but I had to leave. I took one more leap and asked him if I could take his photo. And he didn't seem thrilled with the idea, but he allowed it. In the first picture, he looked angry. I decided to ask him a smile. I got a half grin, snapped my camera again, and my time with Jack Jennings was over. 
He walked me to the door and stepped outside to say a few more words. I made that lake over there and that house over there. That's where my brother lives. My other brother lives over the hill about a mile away. I remember being awestruck at the beauty of mother nature that surrounded me. Jack Jennings was wrapped in nature's most delicate, and it seemed like it would be the dream to live out in the country as he did. The rolling hills and fields spoke to me, and it was apparent I was standing in the space where my roots lay for the first time in my life. Part of me felt at home, but I knew it wasn't my home because of adoption. I was once again an outsider looking in. I gave Jack my business card so he would have my contact information, and I told him I was already looking forward to the visit in the spring. No hugs or warm fuzzies were happening. I shook Jack's hand, got in my heart, car, and headed back to my old Kentucky home. I'm pretty sure I was in shock for the next several hours, days, and weeks. My brain was overloaded trying to process the interactions and emotions over the last few days. Then I called my kids, who were 16 years old, and the twins were 12 years old at the time, to share the news. Of course, they didn't fully grasp the experience and how important it was to me to meet my birth father finally, but they understand more than your average person. After my final destination home, I think I stared at the photo of my birth father for hours and even days. Finally, I printed it and tacked it to the wall beside my bed. It's one of my very few most prized possessions. I showed all my close friends and I could hardly believe that I had met the man who had brought me into the world. Jack and I departed with the penciled-in plan that I come back in the spring, and at that time, he was going to take me to meet his mother, my biological grandmother. This would also be a dream come true. Then finally, I felt genuine and authentic as a person, and I felt like I came from somewhere. I didn't actually drop out of the sky by way of a spaceship as an alien intruder into a world I didn't belong to. Even when I felt this way my whole life, I now felt like I had roots planted somewhere. These were my people. This was the land that they lived on. Even when adoption separated us at no choice of my own, the authentic reality was that I was home. Jack and I had some of the same facial features and skin complexions. Our faces were shaped similarly. Knowing this truth and seeing it for myself profoundly changed things for me. After feeling like a fraud my whole life, I finally felt real. I finally felt fucking real. This experience was a game changer for me. Non-adoptees can't grasp what it feels like to not have the first pages of your book of life. To have the beginning pages ripped out, so to speak, really impacts the adoptee, not in a positive light. 2010 was the first time in my whole life that I didn't look at myself in the mirror and hate what was looking back at me. Instead, although very scarred, I felt whole like I never had before. But I still had questions, and now my new search was about to begin. It was time to put my investigator, investigator hat back on and begin my search for my possible half-brother, Grant Blackcloud. I was going to get to the bottom of that piece of the puzzle if my life depended on it. I was never going to give up until I found all my people. The views and opinions expressed in this article, memoir, and podcast are that of the author, Pamela A. Caranova. Reproduction of the material contained in this publication may be made only with the written permission of Pamela A. Caranova.